it's tough getting into recruitment, you know. It's, it's not like being an accountant that can prepare you for it. You kind of suss someone out for their personality, their cultural fit, and then you go, come on, let's see what we can do together. Making it more enjoyable is a big part of them getting through that, that time. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm excited to be joined today by Mark Skinner. Mark is the co-founder and managing director of CSC Recruitment, a construction recruitment firm founded in 2005. CSC has 25 employees with three offices and specialist teams dealing with freelance, permanent, and executive search, and also a thriving international division. Uh, Mark started his recruiting career in 1998, just uh, one year after me, Mark. Um, so listen, welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm looking forward to this. No, it's great to be here today. Fantastic. So we have a mutual connection in Leanne Jones-Hunt. And uh, Leanne is my COO and, and very highly valued um, colleague. And I understand she's she placed a few people with you guys um, back in the day when she had a rec-to-rec business. Yeah, that's correct. No, some, some good people, I'm glad to say. Fantastic. She um, spoke really highly of you, and uh, she was excited that we were going to be doing this. Um, and, you know, said that, like, the business in terms of the culture, the training development, and the environment and everything, she felt it was a really positive place to, you know, to recruit for. So um, she had she had lots of good things to say. Um, why did you – so, like, Let's go back to 2005, uh, Mark. Why did you start your own recruitment business? Uh, I guess for us, it's an interesting story because I certainly was never a person that wanted my own business. Um, you know, my first company was Hayes, you know, FTSE 100 company at the time, big business. Um, like a lot of people fell into recruitment, but just really enjoyed it. Luckily, I was surrounded by some great people back then, really looked after me. Um, I was poached by a smaller business, Hill McGlynn, which became Randstad, um, and enjoyed it even more. And they were the guys that I saw really trained me how to do recruitment properly, very consultative uh, in their approach. Uh, and a lot of really good businesses have come from that business, people I used to work with. Um, and I was going up the management chain, really enjoying it, but it, sometimes personality clashes. I, de- I didn't get on with my boss, and actually Tom, who ended up setting up the business with, had the same issue. And um, Tom got introduced to a guy through someone he knew as he went to school with that wanted a construction recruitment business. So he set up this business for him. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot, le- lot of lessons to be learned there. Um, but he, he turned out not to be a good person to, to work for. We had the inland revenue phoning us because he wasn't paying our taxes. Our temps Uh-oh. weren't getting paid. He wasn't collecting uh, invoices from our clients. He lived in Monaco. It was very strange. And um you know, Tom and I kind of looked at each other and said, well, I guess we're just going to go back and have to get normal jobs. And I was out with my father and my godfather. And he said, well, you know, you're good with clients. You've kind of set up a business already. Uh, why don't you do this for yourself? And I said, well, I haven't got any money. Um, and my dad remortgaged his small house in Wolverhampton that he had at the time. I sold my beloved mini. Um, we cobbled together enough money and uh, we wrote the gentleman we worked for some letters saying, you've not paid our taxes, you're not doing all this, we're, we're leaving and setting up. Um, and there was five of us on day one because we'd taken 
you know, some staff had come and joined us that we used to work with. Um, and that's how CSC was born. And I think actually when I look back now, the fact we didn't want to run a business has put us in really good stead. You know, we had, we had some great lessons of how not to run a business um, from this, from this other guy. And actually we, we kind of see ourselves as in, employees you know we, we've tried to create the business that we wanted to work for all the stuff we were promised you hear a lot in recruitment about whether it could be trips away how you can structure things paying people properly looking after people well um and um that's that's the business we've, we've strived to become really and uh yeah you know so i was when I when I left Hill McGlynn, I was only 25 when we set up CSC, I was 27. Um, pretty naive, I reckon. But I, I rated myself as a recruiter, so that bit was okay. But boy, you learn a lot of stuff about how a business is run. And luckily for us, we had a guy still still works with us, still does consultancy with us today, called Anthony. He was just a godsend. He uh, he looked after everything non-recruitment, really took the pressure off Tom and I and Karen and Dave, which were the other people that set up. And um, yeah, let, let's focusing on what we're good at, which is obviously, you know, making placements and building those relationships. And I look back now and I think, cool, we we were pretty lucky, you know, it's just all those things to happen, even to the point where we didn't have much money. And I remember Anthony saying to me after a couple of months, uh, we were three grand from 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 going bust, running out of money. Um, when we started but we hadn't noticed and luckily we'd just got some payments in unknowingly and we we carried on so it could have been very very different i love that story that is fantastic origin story mark and it leads nicely into my next question which was i i believe you guys have really uh above average tenure i think the average um tenure with of your employees is like eight years or something um yes. go ahead yeah, no, it's true. Um, and it's, it's something we feel really, really lucky for. Um, and actually just makes you feel really old, to be fair. Because obviously, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm one of those and it's uh, 16, 17 years now. But um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's something when when you look at people say like, what do you enjoy about the job you do? And there's many aspects, but it's the people, you know, and we've got really good people around us, people that I like spending time with um, and that are good at their jobs. And, you know, actually I look at it, although I'm lucky enough, to half own the business you know there's there's people that work for us that have done far more than i have you know um we, we've got guys that grown teams that are brilliant you know personal billings far outstretched what i ever did um you know and it's and it's, a, it's a joy to work with some really really good staff so yeah we try and look after them and hopefully hopefully they stay um you know and, and develop their careers with us well let, let's expand on that then because i think <clears throat> look this is really, if there is a secret to uh, having a sustainable and profitable business that uh, grows over time, you know, uh, holding on to your team members and especially, you know, uh, the ones that are performing well is, I mean, that is so important. You know, I, I know we, as recruiters, we, we often say to our clients, oh, the, the, the cost of a bad hire and, you know, it's whatever the stat is, three, three and a half times the annual compensation and, uh, and so on and so forth. And plus loss of productivity, plus, you know, impact on customers as well as team members. And there's all these negatives associated with uh, making a mishire. And, and that is partly what justifies using a professional recruiter who's going to help you to get this right. 
Um, and yet in our own industry, we have a very high attrition rate. Uh, there's a lot of churn. And I think this is something as an industry where we're not getting right. And yet <clears throat> that is such a massive drain on, on profitability and impediment to growth. So I would love to expand on this. What, how do you feel you've achieved that? Like, what do you think are the key factors that have enabled you to hold on to people and allow them to grow with you? Well, the first first thing I would say is that um, I've definitely done all those things. We've made loads of bad hires. Um, the thing with us is if we hire someone that doesn't fit our culture or doesn't turn out to be the person that we thought they were, they don't stay. So I have done all, all those mistakes. I'm definitely not smug. I don't think I've got the, you know, the magic wand that means that people will just join, be successful and stay. But I think when you see people that do buy into your culture, do buy into your values, um, we seem to have done a pretty good job of looking after them well. Um, I, th I think one of the things um, about Tom and I is we, we don't have a lot of ego. Um, we came from a very successful business where I distinctly remember my director, who's, who still works within our industry, um, who, whoever just joined was going to be the next big thing. You know, oh, you know, Paul's just joined. He's, he's going to break the company record this year. And then Paul wouldn't be there in two weeks' time. <laughs> and there was, there, was a, there was a lot of this, this noise that went on. And actually, um, we, Tom and I had a bit of coaching going back a few years. And actually, one of the things we recognized about ourselves was we didn't praise people enough. Because we came from that kind of, we don't want to be following their mistakes, we made different mistakes. And we set up at that time something that we call sales meetings, which is every two months. Um, we take take the guys to a, a, a bar around the corner in St. Paul's. We put on some food and drinks. And we make sure that we communicate clearly with the company what's going on, um, talk about new initiatives um, that we want to bring in. Great place for people to get promoted. That's where you know we get speeches, all that kind of stuff. Say, well done. We, we're very good at saying well done to the newbies, especially, you know, like you know, your first client visit, your first interview, your first deal, breaking new ground with a new client, um, celebrate the the small successes as well as the big ones, you know, kind of like the bald. Yes, we've got people that do very impressive figures on that, but, you know, hopefully that's the, the you know, the glory enough um, with them. But what it did is it put Tom and I in a position where every two months we had to look and go, right, what good has been done and what can be improved? Um, and, they're fun events and often me being an old fart, I leave early and then I come in the next day and see some sorry, sorry looking faces there. Um, but I think, I think it's one of the things where we, um, you know, so we, we, we don't big people up and we have a kind of a thing where if someone joins and says, I'm this, I'm that, which I get because they might've come from another company. They might come in, you know, with a, like a senior consultant title or something. And, um, they want to show people they're good at what they do. We say, look, don't worry about telling us that you're good. If you do good things, we'll probably get around to telling you at some point. And that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the way we behave. So, so I, think, I think that's part of it. But, you know, one of the things that we did a huge amount before COVID and uh, sadly our only casualty, we only made one redundancy when COVID hit, which was um, a really lovely guy called Jamie. He was our training manager. He'd been with us for six years. Um, and we hit it and we obviously knew we weren't going to take on trainees for quite some time. Um, we'd put a lot of effort into that training development. So again, we had a Jamie had a program called World Class Recruitment where he'd do um, he'd do workshops again every two months. He'd pick a title, a topic it could be headhunting, it could be client meetings, and he'd, he'd challenge the consultants to come up with what they thought a world class version of that was. 
and then he'd get some structure after that as far as putting that together as far as um information back to them you know examples they had used and then we'd run an incentive of it so whoever did the most head- successful headhunt calls or the most client visits whatever it was you know we might do a speedboat down the thames or you know day out the cricket or you know something something fun but you know something that we could do those things so um and it's one of the challenges we've got now that actually we've hired quite a lot of experienced people we've managed to pe- pick people up with our competitors that have shut offices or just not treated people very well during covid but I, I, we now have that whole, that people's personal training development that we put so much time into, I'm just not doing at the moment. So that's one of the big challenges for us. Um, but we try, we, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that you can talk about treating people well. And actually, I listened to one of your um, pods going back a few weeks um, with a gentleman that a lot of the things that he talks about really kind of um, triggered with us. I, I think, and you can correct me, he had a thing about care, you know, I think they had oh, it behind the yeah. So that's uh, Simon Lafosse. Yeah, you know, um, really enjoyed that one. And um, it's, we we don't have that slogan behind our reception, but we could do. You know, we're we've gone on those journey with our staff with mental health. Um, we support people with um, obviously healthcare. We encourage people when they need it to get that. But also, people often come to us in a place where they've got pre-existing conditions and the healthcare doesn't cover it, and we pay for that for ourselves. So, um, and it, it's, it's a difficult subject to talk to people about. And, so, and sometimes I almost feel like I, you know, encourage a bit too hard for people to get help. But we've had luckily so many great experience when people have gone and get counselling or cognitive behavioural therapy and come out the other side in a much better place. Um, that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just something we, we like to do. So we, we look at, you know, if you take people on, if people, as you say, they've been here on average over eight years, you get to know them pretty well inside and out. And, you know, you know what goes on outside work as well as work. And we all know if you're happy outside work, it only improves what you do here. So hopefully those are a few of the things that we've done. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. I'd love to um, go even deeper here. So obviously, the the first thing you said was recognition, praise, um, and celebrating the small successes, not just the, the billings, and creating that culture where, you know, it it is that achievement culture because everyone is focused on you know on those wins which is which is fantastic and you said you do these sales meetings every two months so you're doing this six times a year 
Yeah, we do those six times a year. Yeah. And then on top on top of that, we do no, I guess I guess some of the nicer things, um, we do what we call company conferences, which are essentially jollies. Um and we've we've done over forty overseas trips in seventeen years. Wow. And we and we take everyone. So we take our accounts, admin, you know, and sometimes I hate to say it as some of us have got older and more and more kids. You know, we're the ones not going, and it's the younger, the younger folk going. Um, but the way we've set those up was uh, we used to do four a year, and then we reduced it to to, to, to three. Um, and I'll come on later to you know we, we might do two or three now because we've got much more spread of people around the country. Um, but we set targets, and depending how well we do, depends where we go. So, you know, when we've done well, we've been to New York twice, Dubai twice, LA, Miami, Las Vegas, Boston. Um, you know, good, we do five-star Europe, not so good, three-star Europe. And then we've had a few times when we've ended up in Newcastle, Bournemouth, you know, Brighton, <laughs> uh, and even London. Um, so, but it, we like the idea that um, everyone goes, um, you know, that kind of like we celebrate each other's successes. Um, and we had, we went through times actually when we were challenged on that because we took an, a newbie to uh, Rome with us. And he decided it was a good idea when we landed after the plane, you know, about two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday that he'd down like half a bottle of vodka. Oh, no. um, and then he was just on a different plane to everyone else. And everyone was like, why are we taking these newbies when they, you know, not build anything for the company? And we put in qualification for it. And actually we quickly came away from that because we remembered the reasons we did it was to together celebrate this success. And actually we now have a yellow and red card system that if you act like a numpty, you can get you can get banned from them, of which I'm glad to say, you know, we haven't had to do. Um, we've got we've got a couple of yellow cards. I think I've got one. I've been issued one myself. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, you know that's that's how we that's how we manage it. I, I have to ask now, what did you get your yellow card? For? Yeah, okay. I guess you were going to ask that. Um, so we we were uh, we were away in Dubai, and again. I've got young children. I came. I often come back like a, a night early on these conferences. So I, was, I, had a, I had a Friday night flight. In fact, I think it was one a.m. in the morning on Saturday morning, and we'd gone out to brunch that day. And then there was after brunch, and then um, you know we'd gone on to sort of a sort of a balcony bar. So we were all quite merry, and I was kind of in that kind of limbo, waiting for a couple of hours till the get the cab to the plane. And we'd gone back to there was probably about six or seven of us gone back to one of the hotel rooms, and we were playing some music and I think there was a particular song where um there it stops and then there's uh sort of the guitar kicks in I think it might have been Creep by Radiohead and uh, I, I jumped up and used the bed to break my fall and I broke the bed um <laughs> so so that at the next sales meeting Tom issued me with the yellow card uh for for breaking the uh Hilarious. The hotel, the hotel I think property. that's innocent enough Mark I don't think uh... yeah there's yeah yeah. I, I was expecting something worse than that. No, that was, yeah. But, but, um, but it's nice and like, you know, 40 trips abroad. Again, we have a big thing about when we go away, whoever we come into contact with, whether it's hotel staff, whether it's locals, whether it's people that work in restaurants, we want them to have a better time because we're there. I think early doors, some people treated it a bit like a stag do, you know, like going away, you know, company expense, all that kind of stuff. Whereas we're very, I'm very big on respect. I'm very big on people having manners. Totally. Um, so we, so we've never been chucked out of bars. You know, we've not, you know, been no fights. No one's been done for drugs, anything like that. You know, so. Um, totally. Do you know it's interesting because um, 
I worked with three entrepreneurs who set up their own business that has been hugely successful. And one of the reasons they decided to let, leave and set up their own firm, they worked for a big, uh, big well-known international recruitment business, which I will not name. Um, you know, very successful, good company. But one of the nails in the coffin was they were on an airplane on their way to, uh, you know, on a company trip. The whole, you know, cabin was filled with their colleagues. And they were embarrassed by the behavior of some of these colleagues who were already like, you know, who are already drunk on the plane and treating it like yeah. a stag do and if and and being rude to other people on the plane. And they thought, this is not the environment that we, you know, we, we they like to have a good time, but they, it was that lack of respect. And they thought, no, this is not the culture that we, um, we want to be part of. So coming back then, so you, I love this idea of your company trip. So everybody goes, but it's based on a team target, like a company target. Yeah, company target. So we and set it. So you're definitely going to do the trip, but how well you do will determine how you know expensive the trip is. Basically, so if you smash it, you're going to go on a big trip. And if you're like, shit, that was we didn't uh, we didn't hit our goal there. It's going to be very much more modest. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay. And actually, and it's strange. Like sometimes you know you got our London office is based. Um, say by St. Paul's. So we have a direct train there down to Brighton and actually they can be some of the funnest trips. Um, you know, you don't want it to be, but actually, you know, everyone jumps on the train, um, you know, people that want to drink, have a few drinks and we go out down there and, it, you know, it's, it's a good time. But yeah, you know, when you're saying, you know, someone just joins the company and they can be flying transatlantic or somewhere in Europe or, you know, we've got, so, so our next one is in a couple of weeks in Bilbao. And, um, Sorry, and where? In Bilbao. So I don't know where that is. Oh, northern Spain. Oh, okay, nice. So, um, so sort of Rioja country, um, and um, yeah, we, we've got th three uh, people going that you know only joined this year. Um, so it'd be interesting to see you learn about people um, in these. <laughs> I'm in sure these you situations. do. So, uh, is it purely like uh, for fun, or is there training, or like anything that happens? No, it's just for fun. Yeah, just fun. Okay. Yeah, we call them conferences. Jay foolishly when we started it, because the word conference implies there's going to be, you know, more like what you do at your sales meetings, where there's like speeches and awards and that sort of stuff. But it's no, it's 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 just fun, and um, we we do things that pull people together on it. You know, this Bill Bauer one, we've got a uh, tapas crawl for the you know for the first day, and I'm going to look at a couple of things for the Saturday. Um, but um, you know, it's it's not dictatorial. People can do what they do. Some people go very cultural, you know, especially when, you know, you're either going to uh, a, a new place or, you know, obviously in Europe, some beautiful old cities um, and, and other people, you know, are up all night dancing and enjoying themselves and looking pretty rope in the morning. So, um, but, but yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're good fun to do. I love the fact you take your support staff as well. That is usually it's only the front office that goes right and the back office are the, are are they um you know are left behind and and you know the argument is well it's you know it's the consultants who are generating the revenue and so you know and i understand that argument but at the same time from a company and team perspective i love the way that you're doing it we, we've heard from, you know from a lot of companies do trips but we, we've heard it with a lot of people that joined us saying it was the same six people you know they've been there forever right. 
typically yeah. freelance, you know, on loads and loads of buildings that go every year. And that, where's where's the fun in that? Um, you know, part part of our enjoyment is taking that person that you know we've taken people on their first flights before you know or certainly first you know when you go to america or or, or you know the middle east wow that's cool um so it's you know it's a real eye opener and you know like, and we you know as i say like there are a few old fogies like myself here but um you know when we've done uh, the transatlantic you know you suddenly everyone's very conscious of the people that are below 21 and can't can't have a drink oh, over there, of course, you know. So, yeah. um, but um, but yeah, you know, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of a bit in our DNA. But as as I kind of alluded to, like in um, in COVID, we had a couple of staff that moved further away. We had to relocate down to um, uh, to Devon during that time, but you know, personal reasons. Um, and um, you know, it's harder to get everyone, you know, um, to to the same places. So this year, we're trying to do a lot more stuff in the UK as well. So um, for people where it's a lot you know, harder to get to or, you know, got more family commitments, they've got those other options as well. Awesome. I love that. So you're, uh, every other month you do the sales meeting um, by the, and you say you give like people get promoted or you give um, like prizes or, or whatever. What are some of the kind of um, prizes or, or things that people can be recognized for? Well, I suppose a big one for us, and we've, we've just had it last week, is uh, in January we have uh, the awards. So, again, hopefully spread from trainee of the year, newcomer of the year, consultant of the year, manager of the year, and we have um, most valuable person from a sales perspective and most valuable person from a support perspective. Um, and I think, you know, back in the day we used to give some vouchers or that kind of stuff. Um, we've done it about six or seven years now. We now put on an awards day. So that day is a full-on day. So the guys last week that won those awards, they had they had breakfast in a place called Sketch, which is a three Michelin-star restaurant. Nice. They then went and hopefully successfully escaped from the escape room uh, <laughs> after that. They then went to the Barclay Hotel where there's a five-course dessert menu, like 150 quid a pop. Wow. Um, went and did some virtual reality after that, computer games, you know, running around uh, dark rooms with headsets on. Uh, then went to like, you know, a fancy cocktail bar, and then we sent them out for a lovely dinner at the end of it. So, you know, literally we send them off wow. like qu- quarter to nine and they finish up at like 10 o'clock at night. Um, and then we've got one tomorrow, which is an incentive we ran in January and February um, for people that did the most client meetings and the most face-to-face candidate meetings. So again, just incentivizing those good things that we all know is good for our business. And, um, I, you know, I won't, I won't give it away yet because they, they don't know, but they've got a similarly although probably slightly more abstract day uh, ahead of them uh, for six for six people that won those incentives. So, um, so it's, we, we just try and do those things to keep, you know, keep, keep the fun aspects um, and, you know, hopefully keep surprising people really. Love it. That's awesome. Do you, <clears throat> excuse me, apart from obviously the, the celebrate, the recognition, the celebration on the day, um, do you have, do you keep records of like these uh, awards that, you know, people can refer back to as part of the folklore? Like, oh, remember the time when, you know, Jane had 11 client visits in one week or or whatever. Do, is there a record of these, the kind of mythology uh, at CSC? Yeah, so all our records live up on the wall. Great. So you've got that kind of like Hall of Fame, you know, yeah, biggest quarter, it. biggest month, most temps out, et cetera. Um, and then, um, again, going back to another pod that you were mentioning, uh, one of the guys talking about his tech stack, the, the, the chap that, 
build over I think a million a million dollars I think it was um, with a lot of automation. Um, oh yeah, that was Craig. It, um, yeah, Paisley. Uh, so we use uh, our analytics program is, is Cube nineteen, which we've used oh, yeah. for a long time. Cool. Um, and actually, we've just gone through a our first ever in you know seventeen years changing of database. We've moved uh, from RDB access to Bullhorn. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've, I suddenly lost my I lost Cube. I lost my you know at my fingertips. I can look at you know the records for anything. You know, going back in history. Uh, the trends, all the rest of it, and I've I've been like a lost man for the last three months, and we're just getting it kind of relaunched at the moment. So I feel like uh, I'm getting my sight back currently. Oh but yeah, yeah we- that's important. Love that. And um, so, do you have with Cube nineteen? Is it like live, real time um, metrics on on display or yeah? So we have yeah. Cube TV, which, uh, you know, every time someone does a placement, plays a nice song, of their choice, all that kind of stuff. It has the leader yeah. tables for whatever you want to put it into there. But yeah, you, you, you go on, it's probably got a 30 to 45 second delay from Bullhorn um, or access as we had back yeah. in the day. So, um, but, I, but I love looking at it for kind of what you mentioned, which is looking at those records and thinking like, cool, do you know, what, what is the most, you know, interviews with our clients in a week yes. or a month or a quarter? Um, and I don't catch them all. Um, and we're, um, there's a lady in the organization called Emma who kind of growing into being more of an expert with it. But yeah, I, I, I love that, you know, c- celebrate everything you can, you know, anniversaries, you know, the, I say the small wins, the big wins. I, I kind of feel where other companies focus on all the billings, you know, we've got a sales board. Everyone knows how much everyone bills. So you don't really, although we do have that our sales meeting, you definitely have the year to date board, and you know whoever's at the top will definitely get, you know, some cheers and a nice round of applause. But you know, I'm I'm like, praise the good habits you want to see, Absolutely. praise what you want, what you want people to repeat, um, and and try and make even if you're taking your first steps in the job, try and make that time, um, you know, enjoyable because we all know that's the hardest time getting still, and that's why people's you know lose so many staff that you know we have done as well that don't stay that long because it's tough getting into recruitment you know um it's, it's you haven't got a degree in it you know I, I know there is a degree now but you know there's it's, it's not like being an accountant that can prepare you for it you kind of suss someone out for their personality their cultural fit and then you go come on let's see what we can do together so um so yeah Absolutely. making it making it more enjoyable is a big part of them getting through that that time Absolutely. Uh, 100% agree. It's interesting. Um, we run a coaching program for entrepreneurs who want to grow, you know, who already have a seven figure business, they want to grow to eight figures uh, called Apex. And my um, co host of that or fellow coach for that program is Joel Slenning. And uh, he grew uh, his previous business to 16 million and then sold it. And now he's doing that again, but bigger and faster, basically. Um, he said that the display, a public display of the metrics, uh, now they didn't have Cube 19. It was more of a, a system they built themselves, but it was a similar idea. Um, he said that he believes more than anything else they did was responsible for massive increases in performance because, and it, people managed themselves and motivated themselves through uh, just that friendly competition with each other and wanting to see, you know, see them themselves higher up with some of these metrics. And um, 
you know, he then didn't need to really do much to enforce KPIs. They just did it themselves out of natural, you know, desire to improve and so on. Um, so I think it's uh, it's smart what you're doing. Question that you, something you mentioned earlier is the support you give people around their health care and their mental health. Could you say more about why you set that up and how it actually works? Yeah, I, I guess it's um, something that evolved over time. And I think, the you know, let's face it, millions of people said it before, there's stigmas about it. Um, a lot of people don't understand it. Say my, my wife has never gone through anything like that. So kind of this just, she's kind of old school saying, you know, just like the, you know, kind of battle through it, get on with life. Um, but I think, again, because we've had a lot of staff work for us a long time, they do, some of them at least, do tend to open up. So when we found people that we think are, you know, happy-go-lucky, you know, in a great place and you find out, hang on a sec, they're not, and you try and help them, you know, you try and help them yourself. Um, but actually, if you go back, you know, to when the business was new, we didn't have many tools in our toolbox. Yes, we're trying to make good decisions, but there's just so much more information out there about what helps people when they get in a bad way. Plus, obviously, the professional help is a big change. So um, everyone in the company has uh, healthcare that, that chooses it. Some people have had healthcare from other people, other providers before, so don't take us up on it. And other people, you know, there are some that don't choose it. Um, but you've got, you know, access 24-7 to phoning up someone, getting advice and hopefully seeing, you know, a therapist if needed. Um, the, the point I was making earlier is where I think we go a step further, because I'm sure a lot of companies do that, is if people aren't covered because of pre-existing conditions. And often, you know, you, you might have someone here three or four years and then you find out, oh, right, you know, you're on antidepressants or you've suffered, um, you know, from this mental health condition for a long time. They, they can't get help. So we... We pay, you know, uh, we, you know, we've said we pay up to a thousand pounds initially to, to help that person to get that person help because sadly, if we go on the NHS, like the waiting lists are just colossal. And actually, totally. with the change in the government stance, like if you take something like depression, they're now advising um, cognitive behavioural therapy as your first step instead of antidepressants um, because people's experience on antidepressants is very mixed. So yes. that's brilliant but they just haven't got enough people to support the people that need it. So, yes. Um, so yes, we're in a privileged position and I've, it's great that we can offer that, but I do feel sorry for the people that don't, don't have that and, and can't, can't have it, but it's still a big thing. And especially for us guys, because we're just not as good at it, uh, opening up and talking to people and saying, I need help. And we only typically do it when things are really, really bad. So one of the things we try and do, and, and our staff have pushed us for this, which is great, but it's just keep talking about it. Keep talking about it so people feel comfortable, so people are more likely to come to you and say that I need I need help, or we can spot the signs and we can go and say that, are you okay? You know, do you need help? These are the things that, that you can go to. Plus, you know, there's a lot of things the advice you can give people to help themselves, you know, exercising, getting out of nature, eating well, you know, not taking narcotics, you know, drink is not, is often, you know, dare I say, us older people, if you get into a bad place, you have a drink, that's not always the best idea. You know, all the, all those kind of things. Um, so we just try and support people with it, but we'd, we'd still like to do more. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, an area that's just growing and growing. I think it's a, just a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a modern uh, a modern thing. We don't know how much of it used to be about because it, it wasn't really looked at. So, 
This is awesome, Mark. Like, what I'm, I'd love to understand is how you promote that conversation because it is such a, um, I mean, it's better definitely, but it's still a taboo subject and people don't want to necessarily admit to their boss that they're suffering from depression or something. And so, um, because they are worried that that's going to count against them or be looked at, uh, negatively. So, um, how do you even make it okay for people to share, you know, when they're not okay? Well, it, it depends on the person. Um, and some people are really good at hiding it. So, so that is tough. I, I think what we're trying to do is breed a culture where we don't, we don't advertise it. We don't say, oh, Steve over here is just, you know, have been having anxiety and depression and has done some cognitive behavioral therapy and is now a much better place. But we do talk about it in general terms about the amount of people that, that, that have, have have seeked help and have got got better um you know say some people some people come to you but also from a business perspective in a you know recruitment is target driven you know it's very clear how much people bill how much people contribute to the bottom line of the company and if someone's in a bad place and we leave we believe in their bad place we will just take the foot off the gas and say that you are you know for three months don't worry about it you know where where you're at see where you get to um and sometimes because that pressure gets lifted they actually just start doing a bit better um but it's it, it's it, it is a tough thing and it's it, and it's something that can go on for years you know hopefully where we're trying to get to is recognize it early get the help early and then it won't be as bad but it, you know, people live with this mm. their, their whole life so sometimes it's it's learning the tools um to to, to manage those things but you know, from, from a personal, you know, point of view, um, you know, I've, I've got sort of ghosts in my past, you know, when I, when I was at university and stuff, you know, just, just before I went to university, I lost my brother. He was only 19. Um, a few years later, I lost a close friend at university and, you know, I didn't have any help or therapy then, but I used to self-harm a bit, that kind of stuff. And I, I, I talk openly about these things because I think it's good that people can know that you've kind of been through some rough stuff. And, um, you know, I, I hopefully am the sort of person where I don't wear the weight on my shoulders. So I like to walk in the office with a smile, say good morning to everyone, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, people know that, you know, you can get through these things. So I try and share my experiences, encourage other people to do that. They're comfortable with doing that. And, um, yeah, hopefully the more people we can get to get help, you know, they will kind of grow by osmosis because people tell their good news stories um even though a lot are very private and wouldn't would never reach the surface if you like um wow. but yeah it's, it's just you know if, if you want to look at it from a purely callous point of view which obviously we do because it's the right thing to do i'm sure if someone studied into it this approach would add to your bottom line you know like i'm sure even if you were just a heartless so and so being being more caring would add to your bottom line so i'd really encourage you know, people to follow suit if they're not doing it already. Mark, that's so powerful. I'm really glad that you shared that. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you're obviously leading by example and um, being vulnerable with your own team then gives them permission to, um, to open up to you in, in turn. So yeah, that's amazing. I love that. I was gonna say, I think the point you made earlier which is recruitment's bad for this because 
we put so much pressure on people to hit certain targets and they literally think the thing you said, if I tell my boss, I'm going to get fired. You know, I think that, I think that is what you've got to try and take away from people. Mm -hmm. The fact that that's not, we're going to try and help you. You know, you've got to help yourself. You know, people um, definitely do need to take responsibility for that because really with mental health, you are the key person that can make the difference. Mm. Um, but yeah, you've got to take that fear away from people that it's, it's, it's okay. Because if, if you don't, your performance will just look bad and you'll probably get fired a lot quicker, you know? So, um, but not everyone's built the same way. As I said, if you went to my wife, you'd probably get a harsher, um, <laughs> a harsher treatment, I would suggest. Stiff upper lip. Yeah. Um, by the way, if, if, this is something you'd probably uh, enjoy as well, Mark. Uh, if people are interested in this topic, I did an interview. It was episode number 31 with Paul Hallam uh, in Australia called Protecting Your Team's Mental Health While Scaling Your Search Business. Um, and we actually talked a lot about that. And they've put some really good policies in place there based on um, experience with team members who were struggling. So, uh, So check that out. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugey to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. What else do you guys feel like you're doing well? Like what would you say is an accomplishment that you're most proud of, Mark? <laughs> God, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because again, as I kind of said at the beginning, we don't like to blow our own trumpets too much. Um, and also we're conscious that, you know, just around the corner, there's, you know, there's a bus coming that's going to hit you. And there's, you know, one of the things I've loved about my journey running the, the you know, the company actually is the, the challenges. I know people always look at problems as, um, you know, uh, an annoyance, but actually it's what makes the job interesting. And and you learn from them, you know, as, as, as you come up. So I, I, I'd, I'd like to think one of the things that's put us in good stead is we don't think we've got all the answers, you know, that we're, we're always learning. We're not scared to fail. And, you know, Mark, I could give you a long list of areas I failed in, um, you know, but I'd like to think with each one, you take something from it, you know, um, you know, like one of the things we've got better at recently, as I said, like, you know, yes, we've got great staff that have been with us a long time, but we've made a lot of bad hires. And actually when I look back into why we're making those bad hires, it's because we backed the managers so much. You know, they got really enthusiastic about a person. And actually deep down, I knew that probably wasn't the right person. But because they were so keen and enthusiastic, I'd back them. Um, whereas I've probably got a bit better at saying that this isn't, I know you really want this person, but 
they're not right let's talk about it let's let's see if we can find that you know that that right person um and actually touchwood since coming out of um covid we made some really good hires um you know and people that are um quite different you know we were we we're probably falling into that um mistake that probably a lot of recruitment businesses outside you know 25 30 40 people you hire a lot of people like yourself so you're not learning anything new there's not different but there are different points of view but obviously within a narrow stream so you know we've definitely got some um some great new characters um we've become more diverse as far as people's backgrounds because we are very you know dare i say white middle class sadly um and um yeah you know i think i think we're getting we're we're getting better at those things um but I'd, I'd like to say that if you look from a work perspective, what we get told we do well by our candidates and clients is, is the consultative thing. You know, we're not an aggressive company. You know, we're not, you know, we, we'd stand our ground. You know, we've got a backbone, but we want to work with people. You know, like our repeat business stats last time we did them, I think we're over 97%. Um, so when we start working with a client, we, you know, we really want to get to understand them and we really want a long-term relationship. And, and we want to see, you know, in an industry where our clients see us sometimes as we're just trying to grab fees, we want to see them as a, we want to be a partner. You know, we want to be someone that can add value to your business, not just through hiring great people, but through that, you know, open, honest relationship. Because in our world, you know, um, our clients, we, you know, we're construction, but we don't actually recruit anyone that actually builds anything. It's all management. So actually, finding them brilliant people is a great service they can employ. They just don't always treat us like that. So uh, mm. that's where that's where we try and get to. So all right, I'd like so let's park this for a second because I I definitely want to turn back to this partnership idea because it's something I uh, feel is really really important. Um, but first, like you mentioned that you have a long list of failures that have actually been learning experiences. Yeah. What can you think of one in particular that you you think in like looking back over the the ups and downs of building this business? What would you do differently? Cool. You know, it's, it's one of those amazing things when you look back. So with 2005, recession hit, 2008, getting a great learning experience. But that was great for us because it, we were very permanent driven. And that made us much more successful on the freelance side, um, which is now 50% of our business. So Brilliant. Um, I learned uh, definitely a lot through that experience. You know, one of, our, one of our struggles has been actually, so you mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, uh, we've got three offices we don't anymore we closed two during um lockdown um but we didn't make any staff redundant because obviously we we, we already set up we already, already had people remote and actually two of our most successful managers um work four days a week um what one does it from devon uh bless wow. her you know she comes up every three weeks um you know again talk about people that can do things i can't you know uh, what they've achieved is amazing um but so we were kind of, we didn't expect COVID, but actually, strangely, we, we were kind of ready for it. But when we tried to open up our regional offices and we did it through our people, so we had people that wanted to relocate and they came to us and said, look, I want to open an office. Um, really underestimated how hard that is. You know, they were one person going on their own, um, hiring trainees, because that's what we did then. So, you know, people never done recruitment. Um very very difficult gig for them and we underestimated that massively um and when i look look back at it a lot harder for them than us you know like um 
we, you know, we obviously supported them as best we could. We visited the offices. We talked a lot about it, but that, that is a really tough gig. You go into a new patch where, yes, you've got overlap with clients, but you're dealing with new offices or new divisions or brand new clients because there's local people there. That was a massive learning experience for me. Um, and, you know, hopefully one day when we're in position to to stretch out again, um, you know, I, I would definitely send at least a pair of very experienced people, you know, to do that. Because, again, I think the sanity, those guys being on their own, that's a tough gig. I've, I've always had Tom, you know, with 50-50. I've kind of never been on my own. Um, but, yeah, that was, that, was, that was a big, big learning experience for us. Absolutely. I can imagine. Um, the, the companies that I've seen who have done that successfully have, first of all, they started building that branch in advance, but from their original head office. So they started building the client base, building the candidate base, and then going up and doing trips, basically, right, to see people face to face in order to prove that there is a market here and we've got a foothold. And then they took at least one, if not a couple of uh, team members with them who were up for that and wanted to relocate and do something different and have that excitement. And then it was there was a, already a team kind of transplanting themselves into uh, that office. Um, and that seems to be the, the, the formula. Yeah. I wish someone um, had told me that when we first <laughs> did it. But, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't the getting the work was the hard bit. It yeah. was it was the management and development of the people in a yeah. you know people coming to a London office you know there's a lot of people there you can all, almost learn by osmosis by just right. listening to people. Where yes. you've got one person you know to learn off and um, you know you've got fresh faced again taking people without recruitment experience. You know it, it sounds obvious when I say it you know but uh, um, sometimes you have to make those mistakes to you know to to learn from it and we and we we didn't want to. Um, shut those offices but obviously when COVID hit you know scary scary times which actually in retrospect haven't been quite as scary as we thought they would do from a business perspective you know um, not forgetting the human cost for a second but um, you know again another big learning experience but I, I you know I think I, I mentioned to you before I, there was a part of me that quite enjoyed everything being thrown up in the air you know I'd done the same thing for 15 years and actually getting to reassess it and to relook at it rather than you're just constantly doing the day-to-day that, that you do. Um, you know, actually, that there, there were definitely some pluses that came out of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I agree 100%. Same, same in, in, uh, in my business. So let's talk about partnering with clients then. What does that mean to you? Like, what is the type of relationship? Like, what are the expectations that you set with clients um, in terms of deciding, is this actually even a company we want to work with or not? Well, a lot of that is how the individuals act. You know, yes, you can look at clients that, you know, in our world would do attractive projects or have an attractive culture or good reputation. But but some of them just don't, that aren't in that space. You know, some of them have quite powerful HR teams and they, they kind of don't want to partner. Um, but you'll find individuals in there that, you know that 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 do so for us a lot of it's that personal relationship but also it's about them you know us learning from them what's important and then bespoking our offering you know to them i'd i'd say some examples that we weren't expecting was you know four times in our uh in in, in our sort of history we've been asked in-house we've never pitched that we've never sold it um we did it once in the middle east sorry twice in the middle east um and we did it um 
uh, obviously in the UK. Um, but we had them, they came to us with a problem. And I, I remember the one that I was keep, most keenly involved in said, we need to hire, you know, 100 people in a year, permanent people. We don't know how we're going to do it. And we end up having a conversation. And by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, we're, we're kind of ending up in house here. This is a bit weird. And we end up hiring, I think, 396 permanent people for them in two years. Wow. Um, half of which were in Europe and half of which were in the UK. And we'd never read, we'd done a tiny bit in Europe before, but never really. Um, and, uh, you know, and we still got a very good relationship, obviously, with that, that company after they, you know, they, they finished their growth bits and we've gone back to, to do their search work and their contingency, contingency recruitment. But, what a learning experience for me to be in a proper, you know, you know, it was a two billion going on a three billion pound company. Really smart people, um, you know, it's like the best training I've I've had to see how 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 they manage that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think it was because of our approach. I think it was because we're consultative. Obviously, we had a track record with them, but being honest, it wasn't massive. Um, you know, the the particular division of this company, I think we'd made like thirteen placements with, and suddenly there we are and and like all things we we undercooked it by miles you know i think it started with me and one other person on this account and i think we ended up with seven um and we probably could have grown it more than that um uh, you know at peak um but um but yeah you know i think i think that's it i think a lot of it does come to the fluffy words but if someone trusts you we'll take on your opinion and also we spent a lot of time training our consultants we had to conduct those one-to-one -one meetings and we took this from hill mcglynn which came around today they you know they had something called um aid and fads at the time but they it wouldn't called? it's called aid and fad so it was um field assessment day and oh, assessment interview day i think okay um and what it meant was, so when, when I got to Hayes as fresh-faced 21-year-old that had no idea about recruitment at all, they took me out to see Orange, the telecoms company, the first yeah. week. And my boss said, uh, right, does that kind of make sense to you? Do, do you get that? And uh, I was then out seeing clients on my own, you know, within my first week. You know, I'd never done a proper job before. And I was like, at the time, I thought, this is brilliant. You know, look back now and I think, I'm so cringy. I, w I remember I went to uh, a meeting with L'Oreal and there three H three HR ladies just ripped me to shreds because I just, <laughs> I just didn't know anything, and I thought I never want to feel that way again. Um, so, so what we do is before we let someone go out on their own, so they always be assisted. They have to pass basically like an internal driving test to show they've got competency in doing those things. So we're, you know, it, it can take some people a long, long time. We, we'd aim to do it with sort of within three months, um, but that's a, our quality standards are high, and we. Even when they passed that, a lot of the time they'd come out with someone more senior, depending on what it's doing. So it's not a mistrust thing, but it's a, it's a benchmark for us saying, like, if you're mm. going to have a face-to-face, -face, which is we all know is where you really build up that understanding, knowledge, and relationship, we want to make sure people do it well. Um, so so I, that, that's been something we took from our old firm that um, has put us in very, very good stead. Um, and I think has then lent on to the fact that you can do this partnership, that you can be open and honest. Um, you know, we're not always going to be able to fill every role, but we can come back and say to the clients that why is this not happening? What can we do about it? Um, this is brilliant. I'm I'm sad that we've I've only just discovered this at the very end because um, we could do a we could do a whole session just on this because I think it's really smart. Um, so obviously, to be able to when such a big piece of business like that, 100 placements in a year, 300 in two years, uh, you know, full-time dedicated team with some of those 
uh, consultants working in house with the client, you know, for the client and so on. Uh, that requires a really good consultative solutions sales uh, approach, and the the fact you've got this assessment um, field, the comp- uh, what was it field assessment oh, day? We we call them CIA, which is candidate. Um, uh, I forget. So it's, it's a candidate assessment day, or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. So you've got your CIA day. Um, what are the, what's the criteria for passing? Like when you're evaluating yeah. somebody's performance at conducting a one-to-one client meeting, what uh, what's the what's the scorecard look like? It's, it's, it's a good question. So scorecard is quite long. Um, obviously, you get points for information, but that's that's the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know the, the big scores are on the type of questions you ask, um, listening out for you know leads, understanding, summarizing. Um, being able to set a good a- action plan where you've really got to grips with what that candidate or client really wants, um, getting them to um, you know agree to you know to that, and it's kind of setting you, you, your way forward. So, although a lot of those meetings are fact finds, actually that would probably be, I'd guess, you know, thirty percent of the scores is the skills to be able to do it. And sometimes we go to you know we've we've we said we can't pass people because they've gone to see a client or a candidate, it's just far too nice. So there's no challenge in it, you know, and we've said, look, you have passed, but we can't score you on that one because they were just such a nice lady or, or man. <laughs> oh, you mean the, the, cli- the, the, yeah. the client or candidate was too nice to them, so they didn't yeah. get really challenged. They, 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 they couldn't show their skills on it. So then right. we said, like, right, we, unfortunately, we're going to have to ask you to go to another one. Um, which you know, can, I imagine can be pretty deflating for the person that's come out of the meeting knowing they've smashed it, um, and then told you you got to go and do another one. That was too um, easy. Weird. Yeah, yeah absolutely. you know. Um, but you know, they say, uh, "Was it a great seafarer was never made on calm seas?" So, um, and we've probably had other ones where the client's been an absolute nightmare, and the person thought, "I've never, I'm never going to pass this." And actually, they've they've done well with managing all of those objections and everything else that's happened. But it. But we, we, we show them the scorecard before they go in, you know, yes. so they know what they know what they're going to be scored a, a, against. Um, and my experience is people focus too much on the information they're trying to get and yeah. not the way they're conducting it. Absolutely. Uh, so you have a version of that for the client conversation and a version of that for the candidate conversation. That's correct, yeah. All right, okay, excellent. And uh, which leads me actually to a question I should have asked you right at the beginning. What is your business model? Are, are people doing a 360 role or do you have a split with recruiters and sort of salespeople or how does it work at CSE? So traditionally we're all 360, yeah. um, but we have had, um, you know, we are kind of growing into resources where where our business has changed after the last few years. And this this was like, you know, considering how small a business we were, it took us a long time to change into this because we were talking about it years ago. But going into key verticals, so although we're experts in what we do and we we feel like we know our market really really well, putting people actually into discipline verticals, so we're going through that transition. So we've got quite a number that have been working in those verticals a couple of years now, um, but we that gives us the freedom to bring in a resourcer that can then move into that um, into that world. But it, in the main, it's a three sixty, a three six. But we we what drives it is the person we take on, their desire, their skill set. So we've just got a, a chap starting in a few weeks. He's he's going to come in as a resource. So that's what he's done, but that suits his personality. The, the one thing I would say with us, um, which I haven't found at other places, but I'm sure other companies do, 
is being called a resourcer or a delivery consultant doesn't restrict your career growth. You know, for us, you can go up all the levels, all the bandings, if you focus on that. You know, um, if you're very good at just bringing in brilliant candidates, that's the hardest thing in our world. So we're like, why would we restrict that? You know, so yes, they typically start as a junior, but they could get to any level, you know, within the within the scale. Um, we don't have one, but they could even become a manager if they wanted to manage a team of resources. Um, you know, so so for us, it's just a different route and suits a different skill set. So what would be the uh, career progression then for a resourcer if they were really smashing it and they were, you wanted to, to push them on? Well, I, I guess that's the thing. Like, you know, with recruitment, you can be called a trainee, a recruitment consultant, a senior consultant, a principal consultant. Like, yes, there's more pressure to be a role model. Yes, you get more involved in probably the wider, um, how the companies run and, and stuff like that. But the job's the same. You know, it's, 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 it's the same job we do. So it would be the same with level of the resource. It would just be called a different thing. So you could be called a resourcer, then you become a consultant, a senior, a principal. Our, our model is that on the permanent side, we share fees. So if you bring in a, a candidate and someone else bases them, as long as you've interviewed them, referenced them, done work on their CV, you get 50% of that fee. Um, and, you know, the, the nice thing is salaries keep going up is, you know, fees are pretty, pretty big nowadays. So... Um, to hit the targets we need to to go through those levels, it's, it's actually not too difficult if you're if you're a resourcer. And it, as I say, if you bring in brilliant candidates, they will get placed. Um, so it depends on the so so people that are a bit more nervy around the the candidate side, or they might or they might see it as they don't want the pressure of of that side. It, it's actually it's actually quite a good route. Whether they can get the fulfilment for it long term, that that you know that might change, but. With the verticals, we very much can then coax them into being consultants, hopefully in time. But it, it, it's, it is a, a route that's an option. Fantastic. Mark, this has been so fun and uh, really, you know, enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much. And and you've really delivered today. You've over-delivered my, against my expectations in terms of like real actionable insights, strategies. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. That's the case. It's been enjoyable. I'm glad. Have an awesome day. See you later. All right. You take care, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.